our scripture reading today, and I presume the text for our preaching, is uh, from the first chapter of the Epistle to the Hebrews. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. Thanks be to God. So we are starting a new sermon series this week, uh, and we're going to spend a lot of time in the book of Hebrews. I think there are a lot of questions today, uh, as we were talking before uh, service, about how Christians should act and live in today's society and culture. And something about the month of June, I don't know what it is, that's a joke, um, really calls this to question and what... Uh, we should do, what we shouldn't do, where we should shop, where we should protest, and um, uh, um, what's the word? I have it somewhere else. What? Boycott. Thank you. That's the exact word I'm looking for. Uh, and how we should live our lives. I think we get distracted often is the case uh, by a lot of secondary and even tertiary items of importance. These are important items. These are important matters. But the primary thing, the first thing, the main thing, thing, what is that? I think as Christians, we shouldn't expect culture to conform around our same value systems. We've had that historically, at least publicly, for a while, and it's changing, and it's changing very rapidly and very quickly. But that doesn't mean that maybe it doesn't mean, I think it doesn't mean that we should boycott or protest or grasp even at political power to regain those values in mainstream culture. I think the early Christians were not known for protesting Rome and boycotting certain um, you know, mass stores. They were known for their acts of mercy, for their hospitality, and for their love. When Roman citizens were leaving Rome during the plague and it was devastating everyone there, Christians stayed behind and cared for the sick and dying, even if that meant that they would get sick and die themselves. I don't know that we have the same reputation today. I think the reason Hebrews is important, especially right now, is because we want this simple bumper sticker, Twitter verse theology to be able to have these kind of one-off pithy statements that will get our point across and maybe kind of prod someone in the process to combat our losing our central place in culture. But I think what we really need to do is to go deep and to understand who we are in Christ. And to do that, we need to know who Christ is. Hebrews is one of those books that gives us this answer. When you begin Star Wars, there's this, these words on the screen. It says, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. 
and it's silent, and you're reading these words. And suddenly, the, the image changes, the Star Wars logo shows up, and John Williams, all the instruments in the orchestra just come in, and it almost shocks you awake. It's a little bit of what Hebrews does as well. No matter how familiar we are with the story of Star Wars, it takes us to a galaxy far, far away. And yet we're locked in. Who are these characters? Darth Vader, Princess Leia, C-3PO, R2-D2. We're watching this going like, where are we and what is going on? We have a little bit of a preview in the text that it gives us at the beginning. But what's this rebel plan, the Death Star? I don't even understand. And it's not even 17 minutes. We're 17 minutes into the movie before we see Luke Skywalker for the first time. And we don't even know who he is at that point. But we're hooked we're locked in to longing to see what happens. Even 46 years later, they are still um, capitalizing quite a bit on uh, the Star Wars theme and trends. Many of us, I don't, other people, maybe you do, I don't know, dress up, want to embody Star Wars, the, the, the characters there. Um, what? Cosplay. How, yeah, cosplay and all of those things. Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Narnia, Harry Potter, each of these elements, these stories have elements that are new and different and seemingly very disconnected from our lives. However, we latch onto them because they contain nuggets of truth that get at some of the deepest longings in our lives. Really good stories do that. Great. But there's an even deeper story, a truer story that Hebrews tells. This author tells us a story that is not only true, but relevant to our daily lives, and a story that actually happened, as hard as it can be to believe that sometimes. The book of Hebrews is this masterful piece of literature, not that it's a novel, but in the way that it is written. Its use of language, its rhetoric is ex- extremely advanced. The author has an immense knowledge of the Old Testament, of Greek thought and philosophy, and assumes his audience does too. There's imagery, foreshadowing, and backshadowing, looking both forward and back. Awesome. You guys look like you're going to have a feast down there. Both the author and the audience are unknown, but as we'll see, still very relevant. It's more of a sermon than a letter. And at the beginning, starts just like Star Wars, with his booming voice pulling you right into the story. What we do know about the audience is that it's a very tired congregation. Attendance is perhaps down. Public reputation is not great. God doesn't seem to be showing up in the places they want him to. Maybe they're thinking it's time to jump ship, to return to their previous faith, It's assumed here with all the Old Testament references that that was Judaism rather than continue on with this Jesus stuff. But in the middle of the letter, just after warning them not to turn their backs, the author tells them to hold fast to the sure and steadfast anchor of hope. From there, we get the title for our series. And this would be my exhortation to you as well. Hold fast might seem like life is too much, that Jesus is asking too much, that God isn't there, that there is no hope. But hold fast. 
He promises to show up. Hold fast. Encourage me, please, to do the same. Why Jesus? What has he done that God hasn't already done throughout the rest of his scriptures? What has he done that other things in life can't provide? Why Jesus? Well, Jesus is God's son, the author tells us at the very beginning, verses 1 and 2. He says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. God is no longer just speaking through prophets, people that he has chosen to speak his word, his truth in times and places before. Speak to his fathers, Abraham, Moses, the psalmist speaking of this king to come, but they were all looking forward to someone better. They were good for sure. They spoke of this good and gracious God, this Yahweh God who comes to be with his people, but a son is better. One commentator said, every prior word spoken by God to the people of God has been leading up to this final and consummate word. Now, the author tells us, he speaks through his son, the appointed heir of all things, through whom he created the the world. The word that God spoke at the beginning of creation, uh, John, the Gospel of John reminds us, is the word that brings all of life into being. This is the word that puts on flesh and has come to be with his people. Like creation needing, it's kind of like creation needed to be the end uh, and the to be the same as the beginning. Did I say that clearly? It's like it's a circle. It has to come full circle around to meet itself again, to have that, con- that consummation. God's Son is that beginning and end. How do you guys like your music? Which do you prefer? Do you stream your music? Do you have a record player set up or an 8-track? Jeff, reel-to-reel. 12,000 songs on the phone, right? Yeah, it's pretty amazing, right? I'm not surprised. <laughs> Do you guys go to concerts? You enjoy them at least? Do you want to? Yeah. 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 All, yes, I, me too. Yeah. <laughs> So there's a theme in the book of Hebrews, good, better, and best. Digital music is very good. We can carry so much music with us on our phones. We can even stream it. We don't even have to have it on our phones anymore. But it's incredibly compressed as well to be able to do this at an efficient manner. It cuts off sound waves. It shrinks them down so that they are very narrow. So we're missing some of the lowest lows and the highest highs. Vinyl is a great way to listen to music. It's a little bit better. It's a fullness. It's analog, so there's no cutting off of it. It is a fullness of sound, though there are issues with it. This is not the most stable setup for it. So if um, a child comes running through the room, which they are oft want to do, uh, it bounces and it skips, and you get a little... uh, Or if there's some dust on it. Uh, Live music can be an amazing way to hear 
music and to be able to experience the fullness of the band. See, the prophets were good. They spoke truth about who God is. But Jesus, as God's Son, is the better, the best way to experience God. He is both the one speaking and the one who is spoken. I think there's a lot of options, who we listen to, where we find our identity in this life. Your friends can tell you who you are, lovingly or unlovingly. Your parents, your boss or your coworkers, your spouse. Sometimes our kids want to tell us how good or bad we are as parents, and i.e. humans um, kind of cuts right through us when they do that. These can be all good options. They can all speak really well into our lives. They're fine options. But who does Jesus say you are? See, most of these people want to take life from us, at least partially in a way. But Jesus wants to give you his life completely. He's the only one who will be able to be completely honest with you, that you're far more broken than you will ever know, but you are also far more loved and accepted than you could ever imagine. Jesus knows you completely and loves you completely as well. He is the best option to listen to, to know who you are in this life. He knows that because he's God's son. Why Jesus? Because he's God's son. Not only that, though, Jesus is the radiance of God. Look at verse 3, the first half of verse 3 with me. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Radiance is sun language. I didn't know. I should have known this. I'm sure I knew this, that that you could be allergic to the sun, but it's S-U-N language. It is the rays of the sun that are emitting from the ball of gas burning 94 million miles away. But when we get a sunburn in the summer or when we go out in the sun, we don't separate the rays from the sun. It's what comes out of it. We're allergic to the sun, though we're not touching the sun. The sun is touching us. We don't separate the rays from the sun itself. They are one and the same. Jesus emanates God from God. He's the imprint of his being. When God created humans, he created them to be like a mirror to reflect God. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, not the same substance, but as a mirror to reflect who God is back to creation and back to God. But when he sent Jesus, God's, excuse me, John's gospel again tells us that the word was God. He became flesh. He moved into the neighborhood. He became like humans, but Jesus has always been God. Not like God, not close to God, God. All that God can do to reveal himself, he has done in and through his son Jesus. Like a signet ring on wax or like a cookie mold on cookie dough, God is most fully known through Jesus, the imprint of his being. And he upholds the universe by his word. Jesus sustains the world purposefully. The grammar indicates that there is a direction and a purpose to the work of Jesus carrying the world. It's not like the Greek god Atlas, who was bearing the dead weight of the world, stuck and just trying to hold it up. Jesus is carrying the word towards its purposed goal. Frederick Buechner said, God never seems to weary 
of trying to get himself across. Word after word, he tries in search of the right word. When creation itself doesn't seem to say it right, sun, moon, stars, all of it, he tries flesh and blood. He sends his son. Beth Moore, may I quote Beth Moore? Uh, I'm reading her book, I'm listening to her book, and it's wonderful. Um, Not something I thought I would say, uh, which has a lot of my own issues in that. But she tells the story of meeting her daughter for the first time after she was born. She thought she would know her. She grew inside of her. She was a part of her. She came out of her own body. But very quickly, she learned that she was wholly different and a separate person from her. It was a very odd thing in her thinking. Jesus is not Beth Moore's daughter. (laughs) The author says, yes, Jesus is God's son. It is right to understand him in that way, but in so that he is the exact same substance as that of the Father. Even we cannot separate the Son's rays from the Son itself. We cannot separate Jesus from God. He is the same. We need to get into Jesus' life. We need to read His word of who He is, because Jesus is the one by whom God has spoken and revealed Himself most fully and most completely to read the Gospels, read the story about who he is, read his teachings, read what he has done, how he has healed people, how he has spoken life into them, how he has given them new life as well and raised them from the dead. Get into it so that it can get into you. If you're wondering who God is, look at Jesus. He is the one who gives life. Why Jesus? He's God's Son who displays God, and Jesus finished God's work of redemption. Look at these last, that's the last little bit here. Verses 3 and 4. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the same. He has inherited, uh, as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This phrase, purification of sin. Sin is understood in Hebrews as something that defiles a person and separates humanity from God. The Israelites' priests had been offering sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins continually since the law was given when they left slavery in Egypt. But Jesus gave himself up for the purification to be the sacrifice to make God's people clean once and for all. And then he sat down. He ascended. He was exalted. He went to heaven and he sat down. The priests never sat down on their job. Angels don't sit down. Angels are God's messengers and attenders who fly around doing his bidding. But Jesus, as God's son, most fully displaying God and carrying on and carrying the world to its purpose, finishes God's redemptive work and sits down. The work is complete. Do you have a favorite chair? You guys have favorite chairs that you've sat in that you long? No, Sarah. Sarah never sits down, do do you? Not discriminative. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Sometimes we sit down at the end of a long day. We take a load off. Sometimes we know or we dread that the day ahead and all the things that we get and we have to do. Sometimes we sit down just to remake the list that we need that we're going to be up against the next day. 
We sit down hoping that a kid isn't going to get out of bed. That is one of the most irritating points of my life, of my day, is when I think all the kids are down, I've sat down, I have a drink, or I have whatever, a cup bowl of ice cream, and I'm getting the TV on, as as I'm starting the thing, the kid comes around the corner. What do you need? You were in bed. Yeah, why are you staying up? What are you doing now? Yeah. I'm I'm breathing is what I'm doing now. (laughs) Maybe you don't sit down at all. Maybe your work is you work until it's just time to go to bed and you collapse knowing that you're going to be doing it all over and over again tomorrow and the next day like a broken record. Jesus sat down. Full stop. His redemptive work has been accomplished. But it doesn't always feel that way. We look around, and we kind of go, are you sure? Are you sure, God? It doesn't look like things are done here. I see a lot of brokenness in my own life and in the life around me. And this, We look at the world, and we wonder, um, and there's still a lot of mess to be cleaned up. Stories of our own loved ones around us and hurting and pain, less than perfect health, homes that are near their breaking point, a culture that celebrates canceling, exposure of a church's sins of abuse. There's a lot of redemptive need that still needs redeeming. I think God knows that. I think God sees that. What Jesus has done is provide the way for the redemption of all things, and that is our ultimate hope. And he has not removed himself from the suffering and pain of this world. He took on flesh and blood. He suffered along with us. He bore the shame of the cross. He offered up not a sacrifice outside of himself, but he was the spotless lamb, the sacrifice making purification for our sins. And our hope is that the story doesn't end there. He was resurrected, he was exalted, and he is sitting down knowing that the work that needed to be done for the redemption of the world has taken place. Why Jesus? He is the ultimate revelation of God. He is God's Son. He is the radiance of God. And He finished God's redemptive work. Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God. This is not a galaxy far, far away. This is here and now. When everything is breaking down around us, when we are wondering what we need to do in this world, how it means we should act as Christians, where we should place our importance, where our values should be, we get to look at Jesus because he is still the ultimate revelation of God. Let's pray. Lord, as Christians, we... um, look at this world and wonder just what is going on. For us, um, as Christians, seeing um, values that we hold dear um, get thrown to the side, um, it seems like the world is against us. Yet I don't think we should be surprised at this. I think this is um, what the early church faced as well. Help us to look um, and see through this book um, what the important thing is how you, through your Son, have revealed yourself to us 
most fully and most completely, that you didn't stay far off and away from what was going on here in this world, and that you still don't stay far off, but that you sent your Son and that you've sent your Holy Spirit to dwell within us, to be with us, that you didn't hold yourself away from suffering, but that you faced it knowing the redemption, the resurrection that you would face as well. Help us to know that too. Help us to forsake all other voices, all other good voices in our lives, to hear your voice speaking your words of grace and mercy over our lives, and help us to take that into the places that you have called us. We pray these things in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.